0: Hello friends, welcome to Heidi's Colorful Colorado. I'm your host, Heidi Ginal, a wife, mom of four, CU Regent, and the founder of Camp Bow Wow and the She Factor. With a passion for keeping the spirit of our state alive and well, I started this podcast to bring the people of Colorado together to celebrate the amazing state we call home. Come along on this journey with me as I travel across our old country roads in my vintage RV, interviewing folks that embody the true spirit of the Rocky Mountains. From the Front Range to the Mile High City to the Wild West of Southern Colorado, we'll celebrate the history, beauty, and Coloradans that make this place the colorful state it is. Each week, you'll meet people trailblazing the way for an even more colorful future for us all, making a huge difference along the way. Are you ready for a Rocky Mountain ride? Let's do this, Colorado. Welcome everyone to Heidi's Colorful Colorado. Today I have a friend and colleague, Matt Burgess, who's a faculty member at CU Boulder. Matt, we've had a long journey together at CU. I want to welcome you first to Heidi's Colorful Colorado. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: Gosh, Matt, we have so much to talk about. First, I want to start by just giving a little bit of your background and how you ended up in Boulder as a faculty member studying environmental science.
1: Sure, yeah. So, uh so I'm I'm Canadian. I grew up in Montreal. Very sad about the Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and then I I came to the US in 09 for grad school. So I did my grad my uh, PhD at University of Minnesota in the Twin Cities. And uh and then I did a a postdoc, which is kind of like a after your PhD before you can be a faculty uh position doing research at UC Santa Barbara in the in the Brand School of Environment and That's then That's
0: a gorgeous school by the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was you know, there was a, 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 a me or a link that went around when I was there. It was like the five best bathrooms and colleges in the country what? or something. And, and, and ours was one of them. I think there's
0: better <laughs> things at Santa Barbara than the bathroom. For yeah, just, State.
1: It's, just, it's just sort of funny. Oh, totally. It's, it's a great place. And then, yeah, I came here in three years ago uh, as an assistant professor in environmental studies and a fellow at Ceres, which is the Cooperative Institute for uh, research in environmental sciences and an affiliate in economics. And, uh, and, and so my, my discipline, my, my training is a mixture of uh, ecology and economics. And I started out researching mostly kind of natural resource economics. I did a lot of fisheries early in my career. And then the two problems that have really got me excited in the last couple of years since, since moving here that I've, I've started researching a lot is what's the future of economic growth? to look like and what does that mean for climate change Uh, basically i've seen some arguments that i find convincing that growth is going to be slower than a lot of people think whether we would like it to be or not Um, and so that has all kinds of implications for climate change but also for society it sort of in some ways means some aspects of the climate problem you know all else equal are less severe but other societal problems Like poverty, for example, might be more severe at the global scale. Um, And then the other one is how do we reduce polarization of climate in general and climate change in particular? Uh, Just kind of starting from the idea that if we really need a society-wide effort to get off of carbon that's going to span decades, I don't see that happening Without both parties and broader society being really engaged, if you look at previous society-wide efforts, they had incredibly high public support and bipartisan cooperation. So things like you know the Second World War, the space race, um, and we're actually at the level of uh, opinion polling, getting close to that on climate. So that the, the uh, you know large majority of Democrats and a small majority of Republicans, but but a growing majority of young Republicans really want something done. And, but there's, it's, it's, it's nonetheless uh, an issue that has been polarized in the legislature and has also recently, I think, been caught up too much in the culture war, which is where a lot of the polarization is. And, and so I think we, we got to, if we don't deal with the polarization, I don't see how we're going to address climate change in the way that we need to. But polarization being what it is, makes people not want to, you know, work on reducing it. And so it was kind of one of those things that, you know, unlike the other things I've researched, it wasn't really motivated by my academic background. It was just sort of like, well, someone needs to do it. Uh, so I'm just going to, you know, teach myself the, the you know, the, the background literatures in psych and poli and <laughs> other kinds of fields that that uh, that are relevant. And, and, and we've got some some research projects now going on in my lab on this.
0: Yeah, one of those I've been excited to watch you develop which is a weekly get-together to talk about polarization and talk about important issues on campus and getting both sides to talk and actually have conversations. And the conversations that I've seen or heard have been great. They've been back and forth. They've been respectful. Um, But one of my passions as a region is free speech and academic freedom. And I spend time with a lot of students who don't feel heard. They don't feel like they can speak up, whether they're conservative or not. Um, It's just a real... um, it's heartbreaking to me because you go to college to have feisty debate and really push the envelope on what you believe and what you think and what your assumptions are, and I feel that's being stolen from a lot of students and some, from some faculty members who are fearful of being canceled. So talk a little bit about that program and how that's going. Sure. So, And that's that, that program is not part of my research,
1: but it's something that uh, – so, you know, separately – I'm interested in, in, concerned about polarization. As you said, I've been very concerned about college campus polarization mm-hmm. and the kinds of issues around speech that you're, that you're talking about. And, and just honest, open, rigorous discussion. And, and, and I think the biggest tragedy of it is the issues that have become so uh, chilly in terms of speech are some of the most important issues and you're not going to address these issues unless you can have rigorous you know, free thought and constructive dialogue across people from different perspectives with different pieces of evidence. Uh, and so I, I think that the, the biggest tragedy of this is, is that I think the chilling of speech and a lot of issues is motivated by concern about particular societal problems, which are real societal problems, and yet... The that chilling of speech is probably uh, stopping us from being more effective at solving exactly the problems that that we we care about, right? That that, that yeah. Um, but sorry, so the, so your the, the dialogues, right? So I started this this series um, with a, a, another friend and colleague of mine, Pilar um, McQuillan, uh, who who works at the, the CU, works at the CU Dialogues program. And uh, and and so the idea was, like you said, to bring people together. One of the problems with with open discussion on campuses is everything is you know right next to Twitter now, right? <laughs> so you don't and it, so so you don't know, uh, you know, people. It it, it it feels so public that even in classrooms, students are afraid to speak up. So Heterodox Academy, which is a, a international organization that's concerned about these issues that I that I've worked with. Um, they do these polls on campus expression, uh, and, and I've done similar ones in my classes that show that the, most students indeed are afraid, in fact, of, across the spectrum, are afraid to, to speak honestly about a lot of important issues. And the biggest driver of that is actually they're afraid of the other students, yeah. more so than they're afraid that the faculty are gonna punish them or, or, or give them a bad grade. Um, and so the idea of the, these dialogues was we're gonna have a, a, a space on zoom that is is we're, we're going to welcome people from all backgrounds and we've had a great diversity of not just political but of all kinds so you know we've had um, people of different races uh, genders gender identities uh, levels in the university you know from freshmen all the way up to regents <laughs> we had a former congresswoman <laughs> come a few times uh so it's this this the, you know some 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 uh, senior administrators uh, so it's, it's been this, this, this great uh, diversity of people. And we just talk about whatever. The, the, e- each topic is either based on some hot issue of the day. So we did policing. We did the election. Um, we did uh, uh, tests, standardized tests. There's, there's some examples of, of you know, hot issues that were, were being discussed. Um, and then sometimes the topic is, is inspired by the science of how People reduce conflict. So, so one was, you know, what have you changed your mind on huh. to get people? You know, curiosity and humility are the lifeblood of of reducing polarization.
0: Can you give so, us an example of something that you remember that one of the participants said they changed their mind on? It was pretty dramatic. I mean, I,
1: I can give I can give my own example. I do the same thing in my classes. Um, so, I have a I have a brother who works in business, and uh, and 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 so we we. He's a little bit more maybe economically conservative than I am, and so we, we, we debate sometimes. And the, and one time he was like, uh, you know, do you know sometimes when you raise corporate tax rates, corporate tax revenues go down? I was like, no, 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 no that can't be right, <laughs> right? Uh, because, you know, the corporate tax revenue is the rate times the base, and so unless the base goes down a lot, if you increase the rate, you're going to increase the revenue, right? And, that, and that's a separate... You know, the, the argument that I had always heard with related to corporate taxes was, you know, you're going to have more revenue, but you might drive, you know, you might drive businesses out or hurt competitiveness. And it all kind of depends on what the context, you know, if you're talking about, say, raising taxes in Ontario, it's not, there's not a magic corporate tax rate that's right. It sort of depends on what's going on in the surrounding jurisdictions that, you know, businesses have, have the option to move to. But anyway, but so I was like, no, no, that can't be right. And then he sent me a study that showed, you know, that that in recent years I forget what the the uh, scope of it was, but it was looking at Western countries and basically it found that that you know a decent fraction of the time, not always. Sometimes the revenue did did go up, but sometimes the revenue went down. And and again, it just it just depended on what's going on in surrounding jurisdictions um, in terms of you know how likely is it that business and money are going to move out. and so it's you know it's kind of more nuanced than, than I thought it was.
0: Yeah, I think there. I think that's the key word, right? Nuance. Yeah. And the devil's in the details on a lot of issues, and really driving down to what people are interested in, what they're passionate about, and on the issue, and what they're kind of stuck on, right?
1: Yeah. And
0: so when you have these discussions, what are they like? Like when you when you hold these, I've been on one, but I want you to describe it.
1: So. If you think, if you, if you go in there thinking, you know, this is like going to be a food fight, you know, or it's, it's, it's not, it's incredibly civilized and incredibly uh, thoughtful and and productive. And I think, I think there's two reasons for that. One is that people self-select into the group, right? right. So, so if you're, if you're not interested in hearing from the other side, you're probably not going to go to the, to the dialogue. That's a good point. Right. Um, and, and the kind of, the, the kind of, people that might, you know, make something like that really rowdy might be the kind of people that aren't curious. You know, curiosity and humility, right? Uh, curious about, about the other side. The second thing is we set a pretty strong tone at the, at the beginning. So we have these ground rules. You know, all viewpoints are welcome is one of them. Um, if you don't agree with someone, at least try to understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing that I've emphasized is you know we we have zero tolerance for and we don't phrase it this way but basically cancel behavior yeah. so you know we, we we say what what is discussed in the room stays in the room we you can discuss generalities so oh you know in this dialogue on policing there was a someone raised this interesting point right that's fine we're very clear that if you soundbite somebody on twitter or in the daily camera in a way that's intended to be malicious that you, A, won't be invited back to the dialogues, and B, will look into prosecuting you under the bullying policy, which is a policy that I actually don't think a lot of people know about that CU has, and I would bet a lot of other schools have, that explicitly forbids professional sabotage and um, spreading malicious rumors or gossip about somebody, which a lot of behavior that people refer to as canceling kind of fits under, and... And faculty are actually supposed to report these behaviors that violate these kinds of policies, right? And so, one of the things that's that's interesting, I think, about this is um, a broader strategy that I think would be effective, probably more effective than a lot of the policy changes that that you're seeing in certain states um, at improving the climate basically to just enforce the rules that already exist.
0: That's a great point. And, I mean, I talk to students about that a lot. Like, we have very bold discrimination policies at CU. Yes. And if you are discriminated against, you report it, and then it's investigated. But so few people report it or actually know how to do that or don't want to bother with it or are worried that they're going to have some kind of retribution. And so, I mean, the number of reports are very, very, very small, but the, the number of conversations i have are very 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 big and so that there's a big disconnect there yeah
1: and i think that that highlights a general fact that the you know the rule of law is super important right the i mean economics development economics has identified it as one of the most important precursors to economic development because you know if if somebody or the government might take your property away at any minute, then why would you invest in it, right? right.
0: But Same with your business. <laughs> sure,
1: but it's also the case that the the rule of law is dependent, I think, more than in practice, more than people realize on the legitimacy in the particular political climate, right? So, So you can have a... So, so one one place where you see this that's not related to the campus is is the Supreme Court, right? the supreme The, the Supreme Court is interpreting the Constitution, which was you know written a really long time ago. And yet there are interpretations on a lot of these big cases do seem to track a popular opinion. Yes. Um, and I don't know that that's directly the reason why, but but I, I think in some sense, part of the reason has to be that if the Supreme Court, you know, never changed with opinion, then it would quickly lose its legitimacy in the eyes of the public, right? right. A, you know, a good example of that, I think, is is same-sex marriage, which now overwhelmingly people support. Uh, you know, and so it, I think that makes it... And, uh, 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 the Affordable Care Act is another thing that, that now has has very wide support, and it, I think makes it harder for the Supreme Court to to... To rule against. I have some Canadian sensibilities on healthcare, which I don't know. If, you know, you want to get into, but we'll <laughs> you know, have to do another podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. about that. Matt. It's uh, it's funny to you know, in, in Canadian context, I'm solidly a moderate. But then there's some differences between Canada and the U.S. Where you know, like, like I think there should be a public option, which puts me you know on the left in the U.S. Right?
0: Yes, it does. Uh,
1: but uh, okay, but 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 back to the to the rule of law thing. Okay, so on, on campus, right? So CU has, I think, a, some great policies on free expression on uh, non-discrimination, including uh, politics.
0: Academic freedom. Academic
1: freedom. But if a particular, if there's a political climate in a particular unit or, or, or part of campus that doesn't see that policy as legitimate or probably more more directly, you know, sees discrimination of against certain political affiliations as you know right mm-hmm. then it's people are going to you know at best kind of follow the law in to the letter of plausible deniability like the the question doesn't become you know are we discriminating against somebody on the basis of political affiliation for example it becomes you know, how likely are we to get sued? Or, yeah. you know, can we, can we do this in a way that prevents us from getting sued? And, 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 the, and, and, and then in terms of reporting, I think that, again, there's a kind of thing of like, okay, so, so if you report a, viol- a policy violation that the climate of your unit or part of campus sees as legitimate, you probably are running a risk. To, at the the very least socially, if not if not professionally. and so you know I, I don't think that's a good thing, but I think that the that that you know having the policy is great and important and I'm really glad that we have that policy, but I think it's not going to do its job until we also can convince people of why it's it's an important policy.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And or I think
1: there are a bunch of lawsuits.
0: Yeah, and I think there's got to be both, right? We've got to respect the policy and kind of follow through and have students and faculty follow through when they they have to be brave enough to report it and to see it through in the process. But the culture is also so important. And the, the, um, the risk that it's going to end up on social media or a video or a recording is going to come out, I think, is even more powerful right now than any policy or legislation. Well, so
1: this... Uh, I'm glad you brought up the social media thing, because actually, I think there's an interesting nuance that a lot of people are missing in this discussion about cancel culture with regards to social media. And that is that social media is extremely unrepresentative of popular opinion.
0: <laughs> that's a good point. Like, aren't, uh, aren't the smallest number of people, percentage-wise, on Twitter, but yet when you're on Twitter, you feel like everybody's on Twitter, and that's exactly what everyone's thinking. Well,
1: Right, and it's extremely unrepresentative. You know, you know I were discussing this before we started recording. It's extremely unrepresentative in ways that uh, you know go against kind of what the narrative is that social media, the social media conversation derives its power from. So, so both political extremes in the U.S. I've seen data in the U.S. but I highly suspect this applies to at least other English speaking countries if not other um, Western countries in general, both political extremes in the US are disproportionately uh, affluent, white, and educated. The biggest demographic difference between the far right and the far left is the far right skews older and male and the far left skews younger and female. Um, but, in, but, but if you look at where, where is the critical mass in America of you know, economically disadvantaged people, non-white people, it's actually in the middle. Um, and so the, this idea and, and social media skews towards highly engaged, politically extreme people. Right. Who are affluent, disproportionately, not all, obviously not completely, but disproportionately affluent, educated, and white. And, 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 and reflect, you know, preferences that disproportionately map onto those demographics. And so, uh, and so for example, Biden in the, in the Democratic primary after he won, one of his advisors went on TV, I think it was CNN, and literally said, part of their strategy was, we're going to ignore social media. If you follow Biden on Twitter, he is very boring, right? (laughs) He doesn't, he doesn't tweet a lot. Um, And I think that that, I think that he's, he's onto something there, right? The, the, uh, another, another place where you see this, this dynamic, this underappreciated dynamic that, you know, the, the, People who are disadvantaged that we're supposed to be, you know, advocating for in the middle, um, you see in places like, you know, the New York primary, right, where, where Maya Wiley, who's, who, you know, who's the, the farther left candidate who wants to defund the police. She is winning the richer, whiter regions and the poorer majority minority regions were voting for candidates like Eric Adams, um, who's, you know, much more moderate. And and so I think that the in terms of in terms of campuses, a lot of the a lot of the the things that you know people throw under the label of cancel culture, but generally you know the things that people find problematic. So the you know chilling of speech, the you know rushing to destroy somebody over some small offense, um, the kind of uh, bigotry, you know, assuming that you can you know everything about somebody based on their, their immutable characteristics, um, these kinds of things, that they're, they're not popular. They're not, I don't think, particularly uh, good for the, the, the groups that they're trying to help. Um, and, and, so, and so it creates this thing where, you know, same thing with the Democratic primary, you know, uh, candidates like Elizabeth Warren, who, who seem much more to follow, the, the Twitter discourse, you know, at one point she said that she was going to give, uh, I think it was a nine-year-old um, transgender youth, a veto over her education secretary choice, right? Which sort of played really well on Twitter, but obviously people were like, you're going to give a nine-year-old a veto on your education secretary choice, right? The, the, and you see the same with, with, with colleges that, that that go really far into following, you know, some Twitter outrage, you know, they lose... You know, we were talking earlier about how Evergreen State College has lost a ton of its enrollment since its big blow-up in 2017. Um, Mizzou lost, I think it was New York Times reported that it lost 20% of its, of its enrollment the next year after its big blow-up, um, and 40% of its African-American enrollment. Um, the, and so I, I guess where I'm going with this is, my advice to college leaders is stop listening to Twitter, right and 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 actually i think the incentives are very are closer to that than they realize because but because people are so scared of twitter there's this this disconnect where you know a college leader might do something that plays really well on twitter and they think oh you know i'm 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 doing the thing that that people want and then behind the scenes the morale is really bad and people are grumbling about it um and parents are you know i don't want to send my kid there
0: yeah that's what i hear as i travel around colorado it's like you know, that's what they're seeing on the news, and they're hearing, you know, the the stories of things gone bad at uh, in higher ed, and it's a bit frightening for those that are fairly moderate and traditional, and and just want their kids to, you know, be able to get a good job, and that's why they're going to college. And um, okay,
1: so time for some optimism. So here, I have a message for these parents. Come to see. You. <laughs> uh, we have we are one of I think 55 schools in the country that has a green light rating from the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education.
0: Yes, fire! Um, we worked very hard to make yeah, that happen. Right, and you're yeah. right. You
1: you you personally were, were part of that a big part of that that effort as far as I understand it in terms of the region Law. Right, so so we have great policies on on free speech and on you know political non discrimination for example, which exists hardly anywhere. Uh, and so the we have. You know you and I did an event a few years ago, where I think I said to the crowd, we if we have the freedom and it, you just have to use it. That's right, right.
0: And we've done and several you, debates on campus where people were like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're bringing these polarizing figures together to talk, and we got huge crowds. People are yearning for that right and and the
1: so so you know any problem that you could talk about in in this type of this type at cu is worse basically everywhere else <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it we've still um, got work to do but uh, it, sure we we still got work to do but i think that we are we are we are in a relatively good place and we also you know schools can either be the 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 uh, jonathan height who's a professor of uh at nyu who started heterodox academy um he has this, this talk that he's given in a bunch of places that you can find on YouTube um, that basically says, you know, universities can be primarily focused on truth-seeking or primarily focused on, you know, a particular, he, he, he labels it in a particular way, but I think the more general thing would be, a, a, you know, a particular, promoting a particular ideology. You can't do both those things because there's no ideology that's right about everything. Um, and, and also, he, intellectual humility is the lifeblood of both, you know, reducing polarization and of being a good scholar. Right. Right. If you're not the, the if you, you know, when you talk, when I talk to fellow scientists that, you know, the trait that always stands out among the best scientists is if you criticize their work, they get really curious, right? <laughs> And they don't always agree with you, right? They, 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 they defend it, but they're, they're very curious about what, you know, what potential flaw you might've found in their work as opposed to being, you know, defensive and territorial.
0: I think we're the same way as entrepreneurs and business folks. I mean, oh. we go hang out in the lobby of our Camp Bow wow and listen to different customers and say, how can we get better? How can we do better? What do you feel, like, what's your sense about the product or service we're delivering and, you know, what do you want to do differently?
1: Right, right. No, totally. And I, actually, I want to come back to the business thing in a second because I think, that, I think you're, you've hit a, a, on a really important point here. But So, so Haidt basically says, look, universities are, I have, they, they can't both be, you know, bastions of truth-seeking and bastions of an ideology, whatever that ideology was. And he says, you know, 100 years ago, universities faced the same problem. Should they be religious schools or should they be, you know, truth-seeking schools? And some became religious schools and some became, you know, secular schools. And so he basically says, you know, we're just having this conversation again. We just don't, we're not calling it religion. Huh. Um, the, and, and, and so, you know, what I would say to, to parents and students who are having the kinds of concerns that you're talking about is come to see you. Make us go the direction of, you know, truth-seeking and, you know, rigorous scholarship because that we are already, you know, further in that direction than a lot of other schools are. And so, you know, we're not going to go more in that direction if, you know, moderates won't even come here, Right. right.
0: Well, and I I think as a regent, that's what I yearn. I I yearn to keep pushing on that, keep pushing that direction. And that's why hosting debates with, you know, feisty speakers that can actually be respectful, though, and really look at both sides of an issue and encouraging students to see that and modeling it. And I think that's what you do with your polarization get-together is model good behavior around some of this stuff and and how do we actually thread that needle. Um, Matt, one of the questions I always ask people on this podcast as we kind of wind down is, what do you love about Colorado, per se? I know you love the University of Colorado, but what do you love about living here?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I love I love Colorado. I think it's, okay, so where do I start? Um, <laughs> I mean, the weather is great. Uh, there's tons of outdoors things to do. Um, the You know, as you know, I, I'm a big into golf and there's, amazing public golf. You guys, golf he's an amazing
0: here. golfer. He helped us win a golf tournament last week. It was really fun.
1: Uh, so, you know, so I love that. I, I, And then there are other things, you know, I really like, my, um, my wife and I have family on both the coasts. So most of our family is now either in Toronto or in Vancouver. And it's, Denver's not that far from either. You know, it's three, a yeah. three-hour flight to both of those places. So that's that's centrally located is nice. Um, great road trips, with you know, within a day's drive, um, and then politically, I like the fact that we are a purple-ish <laughs> state that, that in, at least in my opinion, has, uh, has produced a lot of really constructive moderates, right? So, you know, I'm thinking of, like, Governor Polis, um, Governor Hickenlooper, Cory Gardner, right? There's, there's a tradition of moderate—now, we, we also have some extreme ones, right? There's a congresswoman— uh from the, uh, West, who certainly <laughs> labeled that way um but but I, I think that we have we we much more than a lot of other places in the country have this tradition of we work together, you know we were pragmatic uh and and i, I and I have to say I do see that at least in the corners of cU that I travel in you know there's the there, good news there's definitely there's definitely a left skew on the faculty like there is everywhere, right? That's really well documented uh, across the country. But the, you know, I mean, to, as a counter, again, an, an optimistic counterpoint to the, a lot of the concerns that, that moderates and conservatives have about, about campus culture. I have to say that my experience has been mostly positive in terms of, you know, the, you know, I've engaged in heterodox Academy uh, I'm I'm gonna do the faculty fellowship with the Benson Center this this coming year, uh, you know, doing this this polarization stuff, talking all these t- all these hot issues, you know, researching climate, um, and the you know, and I don't have tenure, right? And some people are like, oh, you know, <laughs> that's 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 risky. And I have to say, all I've gotten is support and pats on the back from you know my bosses. And that's so, and good And I think news. That that's really I think it's really important. And I think it, it also speaks to this this fact that the average person is not you know the cancel the twitter canceler right and so the, the i think what you get a lot of is like well you know somebody really needs to do these things i don't want to do it you
0: know but
1: i think it's great that you're doing
0: it. right <laughs> uh, and hopefully it'll catch on i think it is catching on the work yeah. that you're doing what's uh, the most colorado thing you've ever done since you've lived here Besides root that's against the Avs, what's question. that all about? Wait, I mean, I oh, know uh, you from Canada. Hang
1: on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> not, that's not completely accurate. I have not yet rooted against the Avs. Because um, <laughs> you haven't played the, them. <laughs> the, yeah, we have, the Montreal, Montreal hasn't played them. I thought I was going to have to root against the Avs because I thought that the Avs were going to beat Vegas, and then <laughs> unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, but yes, I, <laughs> let's see. But, oh, uh, well, this is actually the, the most Quebecer in Colorado thing that I did. Right when I moved here... One of the first things I did was I bought a Quebec Nordique sweater. So if you're not a big hockey fan, you might not know that the Quebec Nordiques were the hockey team, you know, the other hockey team besides Montreal and Quebec that I grew up watching, and they actually became the Colorado Avalanche.
0: Oh, nice. Uh,
1: <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of a... a, a a way to, to root for the home team, but also sort of rep the, the I homeland. like
0: that, Matt. That's a good yeah. way to slide around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's a little known fact. Probably not a lot of new people move, that have moved to Colorado know. So. Right,
1: unless they're from Quebec, why would they? Yes. <laughs> or they're huge hockey fans.
0: Yes. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Um, obviously, I fully support what you're doing on the polarization end and just being an outspoken advocate for um, hearing both sides of the issues and uh, making sure that CU is truth-seeking. I think that's very important, and it's one of the reasons why I like being a regent and and working with the students and faculty at CU, and I agree that we are doing a lot of things right.
1: Yeah, and again, students and parents (laughs) talking to you now, Uh, come to CU and get in the trenches, and if CU is not what you want it to be, then make it what you want it to be.
0: Thank you for joining us today on Heidi's Colorful Colorado. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And definitely follow me on Instagram to keep up with my latest adventures. In the meantime, happy trails from me, Heidi Ganahl.